0: Mark 10:46,11 11 through 11, verse 11. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard it that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, "Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me!" And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And with the 12. Amen. This is God's word. Oh, yeah. I got it. Thanks. Technical difficulties. (laughs) Oh, man. Awesome. Oh. Consider the inauguration of a U.S. President, or any president for that matter. Consider the fanfare and the pomp, the ceremony. What happens, right? There's heavy security. It's held at Washington, D.C., the U.S. Capitol building. The members of the branches of the armed forces are present and the former rulers and office bearers are present as well as the ongoing Congress is there. There's an oath taking. There's a speech or presidential address. There's massive crowds, right? It's broadcast on not only national, but global news. The crowds were so massive, I was, I was uh, looking this up for Andrew Jackson, President Andrew Jackson's, um, his inaugural uh, inauguration that uh, his followers stormed, stormed the inauguration and the president had to flee because of the amount of all the crowds that, that stormed the area and they just absolutely ransacked and trashed the place. It was uh, quite a scandal. Is that the guy before him? In other words? No, this was Andrew Jackson. Oh, no, it was, was his followers, followers during his inauguration because they wanted to see him. Yeah. Here, Christ, the true king, enters into Jerusalem and it is quite a different scene. There's celebration, yes, but very different. The first thing we see in here that Mark wants us to understand, that we can understand from this text, is that we should call out to Christ in our desperate state. Call out to Christ in our desperate state. Let's look at chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. It says that they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. So Jesus is headed to Jerusalem, right? And he has to go actually a little out of his way off from the pilgrim road that led to Jerusalem. Yeah, they have to go out of the way to go to Jericho. But he goes. He goes out of his way to Jericho. And it says as he's leaving Jericho, then with his disciples and this large crowd, he's, there's this man, Bartimaeus. And it says that he's a blind beggar. So he has two miseries. He's blind, which is quite a misery in and of itself, but also that he's poor. It'd be maybe one thing to be a rich blind man, but to make it even worse, he's also blind. It's one thing to be very poor. It's another thing also to be blind and very poor. But he's sitting there. Verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He hears that Jesus is coming. And he cries out to him. When Jesus comes, there's something that we all can learn here. That when Jesus comes and we see him in our lives, when we see him start to pass by, do we call out to him? Or do we let him just pass by? Do we reach out to him in faith? Bartimaeus says to him, he says, have mercy on me. That's the thing that he says to Jesus. This is faith. He has has to have faith, trust that Jesus would have mercy on him. And this is the kind of faith that Christ is drawn to. When we also can cry out, have mercy on me. He says, son of David. Somewhere along the way, and we'll talk more about this, that Bartimaeus at this point is crying out with faith, true faith. And he, he gives Jesus this messianic title, son of David, son of David. 1 Samuel 7, 16, and we read this earlier, there was a promise. And the prophets later, prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah and others pick up on this, that that there would be a promise that God promises King David that your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. It was this unconditional promise that God would raise up a Messiah, a king, from David's line. Jeremiah 23, 5-6 also declares this. About 500 years before Jesus, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. It is. It really is. And this is being fulfilled here. He gives them this messianic title. And for that, we can learn and take it to heart for ourselves. Why why do we... Why did they need a Messiah? Why did... Bartimaeus? Why do all these crowds here? Why do all these followers? Why do we still need a Messiah? It's because we are in a desperate state. We are in a desperate state. But we have one who would execute justice for us. Righteousness. That there's a righteous branch. Verse 49. And Jesus stopped and he said to him, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart. Get up. He is calling you. Before this, they had tried to rebuke him and silence him, but he wouldn't be silenced. And he called out even more by faith, Have mercy on me, Jesus, Jesus. And Jesus hears him, and he says, Call, call him. Jesus pursues him. The invitation is open to Bartimaeus, as it's open to each one of us, for us to call on him. It's not a waste of Jesus' time. Quite the opposite. And here, Bartimaeus's physical poverty and blindness is a metaphor for our spiritual blindness and poverty. Mark weaves this throughout his gospel, that these physical realities end up being a metaphor for the spiritual. We too are in spiritual blindness. We are in spiritual blindness, and we need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see Christ and see the gospel fully. I remember when we were sleep training uh, Hazel as well as Isaiah. Got uh, to this point when they were babies, they were infants, and was, time had gone on. But they were waking up too often, and certainly Hazel. <laughs> well, that's different than several times during the night. And what you you have to do for this is every uh, 20 minutes, you go in there and you say, all right. Hi. Hi, Hazel. It's okay. We're not going to get you up now, Um, but we're checking on you. And then you just leave. And it's so hard to do that as a parent. The impulse of every parent is to go in, but it's the only way. They don't actually need milk. They don't need food there. But they're wailing and sometimes Hazel especially would just wail, go on and on. She's a tough one. And you'd have to go in there every twenty minutes and neither and your mom and dad are lying in the bed and teaching them. It's the impulse though of Chelsea. It was killing Chelsea. It was killing me to go in and to get her. <laughs> but will not Christ, our spiritual father, come to you instantly when you call? When we call out to him in our misery. Peter, he just, when he started sinking, when he was walking on water, he cried out for two words Lord, help. Don't you think he will hear and help you right away? Christ says, call to him. Don't be dulled by disbelief, by unbelief, by lies that he won't come to you, by things that you've done in the past or past experience, how he maybe hasn't answered prayers. We interpret our past experiences falsely. Christ longs to help us. He reaches out his hand to heal us, to come to us. Only King Jesus can heal our spiritual blindness. So first thing, we should call out to him in our desperate state. Second thing. Second point is this. We should trust Jesus to provide salvation. We should trust Jesus to provide salvation. We see this in verses 50 through 52. Uh, I love this. And so throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. The only thing he had as a blind beggar, his cloak... He springs up, throws away his cloak, his source of protection from the elements. So like Bartimaeus, friends, we must throw off every shred of our own self-righteousness, every crutch that we depend on that is not Christ, and helplessly, desperately come to Christ to cast aside every self-protection, to throw off the filthy rags of our own righteousness, and let Christ cover us in the robe of his Father. In the robe of a son and daughter of God. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. You see, Jesus here, he nullifies the effects of dehumanizing poverty, false religion that casts him out, stricken by God. Jesus doesn't assume. But he treats him with dignity and asks. He asks him what he wants. He just doesn't, he doesn't assume what he wants. And, and Bartimaeus says to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Term of respect, teacher. And Jesus notes that it is not just faith to heal, but this is faith that saves. This is faith that saves. Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Go your way, your faith has made you well. This is saving faith. Because immediately he recovers his sight, but then follows Jesus. He doesn't go away rejoicing, but he follows him on the way. That's what Jesus sees in him when he says, Your faith has made you well. It's saving faith that he has. In Greek, it's the same word that's used. Sozo. It means to save or to heal or to rescue. The same word. And that, I think, is what's going on here. The same faith that heals him is the one that saves him. In his commentary, R.C. Sproul says this, noting on this. He says, as soon as Bartimaeus received his sight, he saw Jesus. Can you imagine that? The first thing he sees receiving his sight is Jesus right in front of him imagine that and then he wants nothing more but then to go follow him he leaves what he knows and he goes and follows him on his way to Jerusalem and that is desire of all of us who are given spiritual eyesight to see and ears to hear the truth of the gospel only King Jesus can heal our spiritual blindness how secondly the second point by trusting Jesus to provide salvation all right. Third point we see here. We look at we need to welcome the king to rule our lives. We need to welcome the king to rule your life. We see that in verses 1 through 11. This is what's known as uh, we're a few weeks ahead of time. This is what happens a week before Easter. This is what is called Oh gosh, it's escaping me right now. Oh, I heard it the entire hour (laughs) this morning. Oh yeah. Yeah, I can't remember either. Well, it's uh, we're five weeks ahead of time for (laughs) um, but um, it's uh, the triumphal triumphal entry. entry, But it's what is it called? Oh, whatever. I don't. Wow. I thought it was called the triumphal. (laughs) (laughs) entry. Yes, yes, a week before Easter. Here we go. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of them. Immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. And we'll send it back here immediately. So they're, right before they go into Jerusalem, there are these tiny little hamlets, these little villages. Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. And he sends two of his disciples ahead, right? And we know the story to find this cult. And it's, it's a miraculous thing that happens. Jesus foresees it and he tells them what to say. And when they say it, they, they let him go and they take it. Again, we can see Jesus' divine nature at work right here. Verse four through six, and when they went away, they found the colt tied the door outside in the street, and they untied it. This is really interesting right here. Uh, a little small, little fun fact or interesting thing. There was provision in the Torah and the Old Testament law for um, that an animal, if it was going to be used for a sacred task, had to never have, have carried anything before either another person or any goods or anything if it was going to be used for a sacred a holy task so this cult here is has never been used before and it's used to carry the king so jesus jesus fulfills every little part of the law every part of it he doesn't come to abolish the law but he fulfills it and this donk. Donkey meets that. And it fulfills this scripture, Zechariah 9.9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. We see here that Jesus is He's a king, he's righteous, and he's humble. He doesn't go in like we'd think for a ruler or a king for a presidential inauguration, but he enters humbly. He says, this is the way I'm going to do it. He doesn't ride this huge white war horse and come in, but he's a humble king. We're going to do it my way. And we see right here as Jonathan Edwards says that Jesus is a conjunction of many diverse excellencies. He has all these excellencies about him. He's humble, but he's complete royalty. He's kingly. He's righteous. He comes and brings salvation to his people. But he does this riding a donkey, not how we think at all. This is our king. This is our king. Let's look at verses 8 through 10. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. This is a picture of a a king, of a triumphant um, conqueror who's coming into Jerusalem. And yet this guy is riding a donkey. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. Again, people of this time are anticipating a messianic Davidic king. They were thinking, they probably see this in Jesus. They probably think Jesus will set himself up in Jerusalem as an earthly political ruler. But... We see that they are still blind. They are spiritually blind to the realities of the kingdom of God. What Jesus was coming and doing right then. They say, Hosanna, which means to save. Save us. Save us. But they're thinking of a physical salvation from the Romans, not a spiritual salvation from our sin, our real enemy. They are blind to see Jesus' true mission of salvation. They want a Messiah in their own image. They welcome him only superficially and how they do well for what they'll get out of it. How oh, they think, oh, Jesus is coming. He's going to get rid of the Romans for us. Yeah. They'll restore their nation of Israel to real prominence. They'll make, uh, they'll make Israel great again. <laughs> they don't have a true desperation and they don't see their own hard heartedness and their blindness and their spiritual need. They don't realize that they need a ransom. They need a savior from their sin. But but through their teachings and eventually his sacrificial death, Jesus is slowly healing their blindness. His disciples, his believers, his followers, he's slowly healing their blindness. You see, Jesus is the only one who can heal our spiritual blindness. Not only should we call out to him in our desperate state not only should we trust him to provide salvation but thirdly we should welcome him to rule our lives we should welcome him to rule our lives as we close up with this passage and looking at how we can better believe and see what's going on here verses 11 says this and he entered jerusalem and went into the temple And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Really interesting statement. And next week we'll talk about what Jesus actually does when he enters the temple. But he goes in there and he does nothing. It's really quite ironic. It's interesting. He goes into the temple, into Jerusalem. He looks around at the temple and it's already late in the day and then he leaves. That's it. He had this huge triumphant victory, victorious entry, and then he just leaves. But when we think about it, this is God himself, the divine son of God, the king, the rightful king of Jerusalem and the entire universe, who goes to see what is going on in his father's house. He's going to see if there's true worship happening. Is his father being rightly worshipped? And we'll see next week. Jesus is not pleased at what's going on. There are no priests or temple leaders, no Jerusalem leaders who welcome the true king. None of them are there to welcome Jesus. And all his fair-weather followers in a few days are crying something else. They're not crying Hosanna. They're crying crucify him. Crucify him. That's what these fair-weather followers are crying. Remember, all of these crowds... The Jerusalem leaders, they've seen and heard about Jesus. They've heard about his teachings or heard them themselves. They've heard of the hundreds of miracles, and yet they don't have true faith. They don't recognize him as the true Messiah, as the King. And even his own followers, his closest disciples, they still don't see Jesus with clear eyes. They don't see his mission and what he's about to accomplish. And I think we should see ourselves in here. Like Bartimaeus and Jesus' followers, we too are blind to who He is in our spiritual need. We don't have perfect eyesight. Maybe as uh, the song Amazing Grace says, all right, well, I was blind, but now I've seen. But in one sense, as John Calvin says, that we're all partially unbelievers our whole lives. That we see now, part, as as Corinthians says, but we don't see fully. We don't see fully who Jesus is. We don't fully get the gospel. There's another passage, John 9, that talks about this. Uh, Jesus says this in John chapter 9. He says, Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now you say, we see, so your guilt remains. So the Pharisees thought they could see. They thought they did have spiritual sight. But they didn't realize that we are all born spiritually blind. We all need God to open up our eyes to see the gospel. To see Jesus as he is. That only Christ can hear our spiritual blindness. So, <clears throat> when not? They think they're blind. You know, and we're tempted to say this too. Oh, the, the people here in this passage, they can't really see. But, oh, I can. We can. But that reveals actually our own blindness. <clears throat> see. See a humble Savior King who doesn't wait for you to get it or to come to you but he comes to you to heal you. He's powerful and humble. This is the gospel. We can come to him and see him for who truly is. We can see partly but we're also still blind. We don't fully have seen the light of the gospel. We're partially still unbelievers just like They thought we're looking for a political messiah. Sometimes we can see God, for example, in wrong ways. We see him maybe as a judge without grace. Or sometimes we see him as a pushover God or an absent father. But we don't see him as a father who loves us, a father who judges sin but he sends his son to take the judgment for that sin. And that's just using one example. But we can see him in the gospel where grace and truth mix. We can see a humble Savior King who came to heal our spiritual blindness. You see, he goes out of the way to Jericho to heal blind Bartimaeus. He goes to Jerusalem to reveal himself to the people, to accomplish salvation. He heals the blind. He teaches his disciples and the crowds to serve them. And he ultimately goes to his death to serve them. The only king who has absolute power and authority yet comes as a humble serving savior. Jesus threw off his riches. He threw off his royal robes his kingly royalty and his authority he left in heaven to come down and save us he became poor to save us to lay his life down for others he abandons his mission wholly. his he ex- abandons himself wholly to the mission he abandons himself wholly to the will of god like none of us ever have or will and on the cross jesus took on our spiritual poverty he becomes poor so that we could become rich. The sky becomes dark. Jesus becomes utterly blind to the presence of God the Father. He enters into our darkness and our poverty, cast off from all others, and more importantly, from God, so that we can come to him for have sight, to have true sight. Let us call out to him, friends. Let us see this glorious king.